Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We have a very important topic today, and we changed what we were going to talk about with journalist Robert Meyer because of recent news and how they are reporting not the news any longer, but commentary, a narrative, a progressive narrative, and opinion to somehow keep that that bad old orange man in the news, in the headlines every day, thinking that that will help Democrats in the election. So we've got to talk about these things. I make no apologies for talking about politics, government, and the biased media in America, because this is a big problem, friends, in a free republic. This is a big problem. When you have a one-party, um, really, it is a one-party, a big-tech media conglomerate, and you've got a problem when it comes to free speech. Uh, I also have some information on Facebook changing some of their, um, it, well, let me just read you this headline, information on prohibited ads related to voting and ads about social issues in elections, Facebook is taking steps to help secure the integrity of elections. How, they're trying to reduce the spread of misinformation. We know how that goes. So we know who they're going to censor. We know who they are, are going to allow to be freely, you know, tr- you know, allowed on their platform. And we're going to talk about that today. But first, before I introduce Robert, and get to the content and the headlines that I picked up on Friday that led to this topic today. I want to read a quote from Pastor Scott Lively. He was our guest last week, and he has been very vocal about what's been happening in the last two years and the four years before that. He said this, quote, One of the side effects of Trump derangement syndrome among media journalists and pundits is the delusion that everyone hates Donald Trump as much as they do expect the deplorables of the fringe alt-right. So it's only natural that they want to put President Trump front and center in the public view as we head into the midterm elections, thinking that will poison the voters against all Republicans. The truth they are incapable of recognizing is that the worse Joe Biden screws things up, the more people remember and appreciate Trump's accomplishments like gas under two bucks a gallon and want him back in the White House. So whenever they see him in the news, they get another reminder that the best way to support Trump is to give the Make America Great Again Republicans an historic red tsunami win on November 8th. Thanks in part to the Trump-hating media, it's going to be a blowout. Personally, I can't wait to cast my ballot. And now I want to bring in today's guest, and it is Robert Meyer of Renew America. He's known to expose the fallacies of knee-jerk arguments about politics, religion, and life. And uh, really, he's written on so many different topics, and he's done this for years. And I just want to welcome him back. Robert, thank you so much for coming back on Stand Up for the Truth. Well, Dave, it's great to be back on the show and with you to chat again for another hour on some very important topics. Yep, and let me tell you, uh, well, I already told you this, but I didn't tell our listeners, this. these are the two newspaper headlines above the fold, as they say, that I saw when I went to gas up my car on, on Friday, and that's what led to this topic today. We were already going to talk with Robert about some of his articles and some other topics, you know, about bringing in the Constitution and government and church and state issues, but we've got to address this, what's happening here. So two of the only newspapers that were available at this particular Shell station were, were the USA Today, which is progressive liberal, and I just, that was an understatement, and the Mil- Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the only two papers there. I'm going to read the headlines. Front page, January 6th Capitol attack, panel subpoenas former president. And then in the right-hand column it says, 
Half of residents worry for safety. Underneath the fold, front page, it says, Secret Service messages show early warnings. And it's got a picture of Donald Trump looking like he's pleading with people, making a speech during the election. And on the other newspaper, this is USA Today, it says, Panel demands Trump testimony under oath. And under the fold, it says, Former President Defiant as midterms will likely alter outlook. And Robert, I'm going to allow you to comment on this after I read one quote from USA Today. Donald Trump is required to answer for his actions. We have left no doubt, none, that Donald Trump led an effort to upend American democracy that directly resulted in the violence of January 6th, end quote. Robert, your thoughts. This, this, I never buy newspapers, and I almost mean never, um, but I had to pick these two up to talk about this today. Well, first of all, it, uh, it's interesting that they say there's some overwhelming evidence of that. Well, if there's overwhelming evidence that Donald Trump led an insurrection, I would like to find out what it is. Exactly. Uh, they're hiding it behind closed doors, or they're not revealing what the particulars of this evidence are. It seems to me that they're merely throwing out innuendos to sort of poison the minds of people into thinking a certain thing. Now, I've said this, whether it has to do with Trump or whether it has to do with Obama or any past president, that it's very easy to believe things, uh, bad things, pejorative issues about people you dislike. Uh, I can remember when Obama was president, there were people who would say things about Obama, and I'd say, you know, if you disagree with his policies, that's fine. Maybe people will call you a racist or something, but it's a baseless claim. On the other hand, if you just go and run with some kind of conspiratorial idea, uh, then people have a legitimate reason for thinking you're a little off kilter. But the same circles back to this argument here about the insurrection and yes. Trump was behind it and everything. Uh, I'm still waiting to, to find out what evidence they're presenting to show to uh, to illustrate their case. And I want to just go back to the Bible briefly, uh, Robert Meyer, and quote the book of Daniel, chapter 2, and remind people that God is sovereign, but he allows us choices, and one of those choices is how we vote. I don't want to say if we vote. If you're a Christian, I pray to God that you are voting your biblical values every election, because that is one of the only ways your voice gets heard, and that impacts what legislation will be passed in Congress. But Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel said, May the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and appoints kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to people of understanding. He reveals profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Now that's from Daniel chapter 2, but I want to just remind you guys, yes, God is sovereign, but you are responsible in this free republic to vote your biblical values. That's part of being salt and light. Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because in Proverbs it tells us that the testimony of one seems convincing until they're cross-examined. So we haven't had too much cross-examination no. when it comes to these issues. Exactly. Uh, another thing, in your introduction, you said something, and I want to add a little bit more clarity to it, or a little bit more emphasis. You talked about you don't apologize for... Uh, what you said, you know, bringing up politics and mm -hmm. so forth. And I think with a lot of Christians, they'll say things like, well, I don't want to hear uh, politics from the pulpit, or I don't want my preacher to talk about politics. Yeah. And I think there is this pseudo-separation between uh, so-called spiritual issues and uh, political issues. And I think if people uh were more keen on their history they'd find out that throughout history throughout american history preachers have frequently brought up the issues of the day as part of their sermons and part of the uh, instructions they've given to their congregations mm. amen brother good point thank you um so back to the story the breaking news from last week the us and i'm reading an article the us house january 6 committee what a joke 
um, used its first hearing in months, meaning they met for the first time in several months, last Thursday to subpoena former President Donald Trump to testify before it after failing to produce evidence tying him to the Capitol, insert the word, riot, insurrection, attack, whatever word you want to use there, the left and the right uses different words. But whatever happened on January 6th, last year, not this year, but last year, and just days before the 2022 midterm elections. That's an important point. Robert, why can't people see this? Once again, they haven't met in months. They meet. They want to subpoena former President Donald Trump because they know it's going to make headlines just days before the midterm elections. Do people understand? They don't. I don't believe they understand, but what do you think? Yeah, the, the, the timing of it, of course, reeks of, uh, you know, political theater. There's no question about it. Now, I think some people understand, but a lot of people don't. Now, on the other hand, I have heard that the, the hearings did not get much viewership. So I don't really know how much people are really paying attention to what, uh, what, what went on on January 6th. I mean, it, it's almost akin to uh, exhuming the body of Richard Nixon and putting him back on trial for things that happened in the 70s with the, the Watergate investigation. Well, I, I don't agree with you on that analogy because Nixon was guilty of some things. I mean, they blew it out of proportion, I think, but they, he was guilty. Trump was not found guilty. They, and in fact, that's one of the big problems in the media today, Robert. They, when it's a Republican or conservative or Christian, they, that person is guilty until proven innocent. And that's the way the headlines always frame it. Don't you agree? Yeah, good point, Dave. Uh, that probably wasn't a great analogy. I think what I'm trying to get across is that we're still, uh, we're still dealing with an issue that has, is almost two years in the rearview mirror. Yes. Um, when Nixon, after Nixon's impeachment, it was kind of forgotten. Yeah. Whereas this continues to go on and on and on. And that was the point I was trying to make. Yep. I think, um, I don't know, they're the, the left, the media, um, which is one and the same. They've got their marching orders from the Democrat Party and the, the globalist, globalist leaders to say, hey, keep putting this out there. They think it's working for them. We won't know until November, until November 8th, after the elections. We won't know how well this strategy of keep Trump, keep Trump in the news, keep criticizing, keep hammering him, um, imply guilt. But um, the committee is composed solely of members of Congress who are against Trump. And they were handpicked, apparently, by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, how is this even fair? And by the way, friends, Trump, apparently, according to one article, he said he said he will accept uh, he will appear before the committee under one condition that he gets to do it live on TV. <laughs> he testifies on live TV. I'm not sure if that's a, a good thing. But anyway, what do you think about this? Is it is the committee eight people? And how can they keep this going? They're using taxpayer dollars, Robert. It seems to be a waste of time. Are they accomplishing anything? No, they're not. Um, they're just trying, you know, it's, 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 as Trump would say, it's a partisan witch hunt, and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, obviously, if somebody is guilty of something, we can't stand behind him despite that, just because, you know, we may favor that particular person or that the platform on which they stand. And I do want to emphasize that um, from my perspective, I don't, I'm not uh, behind specifically any uh, particular political party. I think it can be dangerous to have blind party loyalty. Yes. But I think as a Christian, what I'm interested in is a platform. What platform mm -hmm. are we espousing? And, and if a particular person is less than stellar, but stands behind a given platform, that is what I'm concerned with. And I think uh, in the case of Trump, that's a lot of what is being attacked. It's almost like saying Trump was an outsider. We're going to make an example out of him so mm -hmm. nobody tries anything like this again. Yep, I think you're right. And yeah. so let's get back to um, another article, this one over at Fox News, on Trump's response to the um, – committee's demands, right? Um, he said, I recommended and authorized thousands of troops to be deployed on January 6th, last year, 
to ensure that there was peace, safety, and security at the Capitol and throughout Washington, D.C. on January 6th. The Department of Defense timeline shows that National Guard troops could have easily been present at the Capitol before January 6th. And then this article goes on, a wholesale refusal in writing from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and the Capitol Police, who do not report to me, Trump said, but report to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. So are these facts, Robert, did I exaggerate anything by just reading a quote from this article? No, not at all. Um, and, And it really presents an interesting case there because... Let's say you're you're trying to be as objective as possible and look at this. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what I would bring to bear. Go back to the Mueller investigation, to some of the things, the impeachment, uh, the the two impeachments, in fact, against Donald Trump, and look at all these things and ask yourself, what evidence did they really have for any of these things, and how is this particular hearing? or this panel, or this trial, really any different from what's happened in the past that turned out to be a nothing burger, a waste of time, and just, uh, you know, nobody made any apologies for any of this either. Nope, and don't expect an apology either, or any admission that anyone was wrong, um, because there's no accountability. No one holds them accountable. If it were a Republican, or a, let's just say an independent, or a Mm -hmm. Christian or conservative, the media would be all over that person to demand uh, some sort of accountability. So we have a one, not only we have a one party, in a way, a justice system, we have a two-tiered system of justice, I should say, and that's just based on what the FBI has, has done recently and what the Department of Justice has done, even when it comes to pro-life pregnancy centers and that whole thing, as we mentioned before. But let's get back to this topic. I want to mention, uh, I found a new article over at the stream it says, do you want proof of a national leader calling for violence on January 6th? You've got it. And it turns out to be the woman responsible for securing the U.S. Capitol. Yes, Nancy Pelosi. In a video filmed by her filmmaker daughter, Alexandria, on January 6th, Pelosi directly threatens the president of the United States. Quote, if he's talking, she's talking about Trump in this video. If he comes, I'm going to punch him out, Pelosi declares. I've been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. And she another she goes on and says, my time, uh, this is my moment. And so she had a film crew there on January 6th. What was she expecting to happen? Robert, we've got two minutes for you to comment on this. Well, th- that's interesting, too, because if you look at Pelosi, you'll remember at Trump's State of the Union address right in front of cameras, she visibly shows a, a, a divisive look, tears his uh, speech in half, yes. and, and is pouty. And you remember also Chuck Schumer uh, making direct threats, calling out a couple of recent Supreme Court justices, how they better watch out what they do. Uh, I think it was in reference to Roe versus Wade and some of the other decisions. And then we had a, a, a credible threat a person who was going to try to do harm to uh, Justice Kavanaugh, who was caught, uh, you know, by, by the authorities. And why is that not considered directly inciting violence when Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have done these things? Mm. I mean, that's, that, to me, I mean, there was an actual uh, person out there who was uh, looking to do violence. Yes, and by the way, um, whose security killed the one person who was actually killed, uh, Ashley Babbitt, I believe her name, yeah. is on the, in the Capitol on January 6th. It was, whose security was that? It wasn't Trump's security. And who actually benefited from the so-called riot, or whatever you want to call it? The Republicans didn't benefit. So no. we're not connecting dots. We're not thinking like um, the enemy would think here. And I think we have to start doing that. And, and friends, I don't like this topic. I don't like going back, especially, you know, over a year and a half to rehash a, a historical moment in Washington, D.C., or any moment for that matter. But because of how the media is putting this out there, I know most of our listeners here to this podcast are not deceived by this. But a lot of people who are ignorant and don't pay attention are. When we come back, deconstructing Trump 
and the fact-checking foxes guarding the hen house. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Robert Meyer of Renew America, and you can get his column over at RenewAmerica.com. We will have it linked to today's podcast post in the blog at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And by the way, please pray, guys. We, we've had so much warfare here at this ministry. We are trying to change uh, the website, flip it over to a new server, and and some changes were supposed to take place Friday, but they didn't. They may take place later today. So if you happen to have an issue on the website, let us know, or just please be patient. StandUpForTheTruth.com. So CNN deliberately misquoted Pelosi. Um, Newsbusters caught this at, over at Media Research Center. CNN omitted, they, they just left out a sentence in the middle of the transcript, right? That's how they do it. And they changed Pelosi's words when she was saying, I hope, you know, referring to Donald Trump, I hope he comes, I want to punch him out. Um, and this is my moment, they left that out. So first, Robert, Pelosi had a documentary fil- film crew following her around which is very suspect. And I mean, yeah, some, you know, Congress people or, or senators, they, they do that on occasion. But kind of an interesting time when you actually look back and see what happened. Now, a lot of people aren't aware of that. So what this did is open the door to nationwide demonization and punishment of the, her political opponents, meaning the Republicans, in the last two years. And they've been using this. The J6, J6, J6. And yet there are people who, without a trial, from my understanding, there's still some, these are political prisoners, prisoners of the left, the Democrat Party. Uh, your comments before we move on. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It doesn't seem like there has been proper uh, due diligence and proper uh, due process for of these people, yeah. at least from what I've heard. And I'm not exactly sure what some of the crimes they've committed are. Now, I've heard rumors, don't know anything about this, that there was uh, some people facilitating uh, allowing people to get in the Capitol and things, yep. uh, opening doors or not preventing people from coming in. Right. So they, they uh, went along with it. So I, I don't know about that, but, um, you know, it, it does look as though uh, a lot of the, some of this stuff could have been orchestrated. It's certainly a possibility. Thank you for acknowledging that. Uh, we've had eyewitnesses on this podcast that were there on January 6th that saw it happen, mm. uh, saw the doors open, and it's like, what, what happened to the security? Where'd they go? Why aren't they trying to prevent people from getting in? Uh, so some just some things that are very suspicious, and as you know, the left uh, and the media will not follow up on that part of it. They're just going to try to find uh, Trump supporters. And by the way, this is we talked about this uh, Friday. We talked about Christian nationalism and how they're using those as code words now to accuse Christians of being violent, of wanting to take over a cap, a, the, the capital in America and have a theocracy. And they're using these words to attack those of us who want to live our faith in public and not force it on anybody. That's impossible anyway. A human being, we can't change a human being's heart, right, Robert? But, but they're using these words now to kind of frame all anyone who would believe in, in the true God of the Bible and our faith in the founding of America, they want to make us out to be the enemy who really is causing all the issues today. So it's fascinating what they're doing with that, isn't it? It is. And, you know, that that comes right back to a theme I've written about many times where the concept of church and separation has become ideological when historically it's functional and jurisdictional. In other words, the church has the uh, all the facets of grace, the state has the facets of justice, and the the separation there is that we do the particular things under those categories, and each is sovereign in that area. But what has happened is people have made it seem like uh, it, that... Um, a biblical ideology or precepts from Christianity can't influence public policy. And that was never the case. There's no constitutional prohibition against that. 
And so I think when these people use terms like Christian nationalism and that, what they are trying to do is, like you say, imply some sort of takeover. And, uh, of course, that nothing could be further from the truth. That's Thank you. And I just want to quote before we move on to your article um, from actually a couple of years ago that's so very relevant today um, called Deconstructing Trump. And then we'll get back to the media and the, quote, fact checkers, so-called. But this article is at the WashingtonStand.com. It says the left isn't afraid of Christian nationalism. They're afraid of Christians. And I'll leave you you guys with this quote from this article. It says, you will hear a lot more about Christian nationalism in the future. When you do, there will be ominous music in the background. And they will prove their point by quoting people who really have fallen into the trap of political idolatry. They will imply that because you are also a Christian, you're just like them. The goal is to motivate their base by proving you're a threat and to shame you into silence, fear, and retreat. It's a trap. Don't fall for it. And that's over at the WashingtonStand.com. So, Robert, you say this, and you're right on, by the way. I'll just quote your article because I underlined so much of it. You started out by saying the mischaracterization of statements made by a political opponent or some other perceived adversary is nothing new. But during the presidential tenure of Donald Trump, it evolved into an art form or a conditioned response. I love that first sentence. And please elaborate. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's always been times, I even go back to, you know, Al Gore, where they said he invented the Internet and different <laughs> things like that. There's always been these types of things taken out of context and mischaracterized mischaracterizations of people mm -hmm. but um you know this this has taken on a new level uh trump could say something and you could hear it on the air and 10 minutes later they would say he said something differently yep. one of the uh one example that i remember very vividly is when trump mused about um how uh they were saying something about that you could inject uh, Listerine or something like that. And they said Trump had, had made some claim about injecting something into your bloodstream, and he made no such claim. Another one had to do with the removal of the statue, I believe, of uh, Robert E. Lee, where they claimed Trump said that uh, white supremacists were good people. <laughs> and if you go back and read the quote, he never said anything wow. like that. And, uh, you know... One after another, you see this almost on a daily basis where they're mischaracterizing things he said. They're taking comments that he made tongue-in-cheek and interpreting them as though they're literal statements. Yep. You know, like someone says, yeah, I could have killed him. Well, the joke I always make is I, I, I'm with a group of coworkers, and I tell them, I've got to leave, it's late, my wife is going to kill me when I get home. And I show up into work the next day, and they say, you're a liar, your wife didn't kill you. And I say to them, you sound like uh, detractors of Donald Trump. <laughs> so what you made an excellent point in this article, and th this is what they do. They'll take an actual statement made by Trump and remove it from its context, which is kind of what you just explained. They're almost professionals at this by now, and they do it to serve their own purposes. But, Robert, this we're in trouble in America when we have a compromised, complicit media that only supports, most of the time, one political party. This is very dangerous because of this, removing a statement, and basically they're lying, aren't they? They are, and that, you know, that's the thing about the media that's, that's very perplexing. Uh, they have to live in the world that they create. <laughs> Exactly. And why why they would keep doing this, you know, I don't know that it, it it's just them following through on their journalistic education and the people who educated them influenced them to, uh, to you know, glom onto a certain worldview. It's really hard to understand why they would be that biased. Uh, you know, if they usher in uh, a socialist country, well, they're going to have to live in that country. So I don't understand yeah. why they're so monolithic in their approach towards this, but they certainly have been. 
Uh, I can remember going back to the 1970s, in fact. I met a gentleman who he pointed out to me, he talked about media bias back then. And he not only talked about it, but he showed me ways you can identify it by, like, watching the news and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I always say today that it isn't so much bias anymore. I mean, we all have certain biases. Yes. Uh, based upon our upbringing, our religious beliefs, our education, our life experiences. But this is goes way beyond that to naked partisanship. Yes, and propaganda, which yes. I've said many times on this podcast, and I, I stand by these words. What we're seeing in America is communist policy. Now, you can take that next step and investigate who exactly is a communist and who believes in that uh, worldview, but this is communist policy. When you put out your narrative, your talking points, what your party believes, your worldview, and when you censor the opposition or uh, mischaracterize them or basically just lie, this is part of their game, bearing false witness. But I want to go back to something you said, which was interesting. You said, and it's true that Donald Trump was <laughs> uh, perhaps one of the most unpresidential presidents and, in fact, I believe that was one of the reasons he was elected as an outsider. Um, but he didn't have a lot of tact, and he was a little rough around the edges. But I look at the policies, and that's what you've got to do when it comes to leadership. Look at their policies, look at the platform, look at the procedures. But you, you say the corresponding reaction by the media and by the left was perhaps the most irrational reaction that you've ever seen toward a political leader. I think most of us would agree, even People that would would be on the left on the other side of this, you know, politically at least, they would ad admit this reaction. It's it's almost an irrational hatred of a man, and I think the media keeps feeding that fire. Well, it is because they characterize Donald Trump's behavior as you know childish and petulant, and in uh, you know all this, and then they tried to outdo him, so it, it didn't make any sense. And, uh, and, you know, uh, adding to what you said before about the media, about mm -hmm. it being dangerous that yes. they take this monolithic approach, mm -hmm. that is so important to emphasize that because, remember, the First Amendment of the Constitution gives freedom of the press. So it's so important that the press is even-handed in how they report the news. So you also said this, and I'm reading from your article, Robert Meyer, as each successive gambit to dislodge Trump fails its objective, and man, they failed a lot, but I give them credit for, for being unrelenting. You say, the people opposing Trump only become more desperate and more bold, and that is absolutely true, and this is what we've seen. So is, do you think the public is kind of being worn down and kind of feeling like, gosh, we, this is, they're, they're tired of it, but they're not even surprised by it or phased by it anymore? You know, I'm hoping that's the case, David. And to and to give you a little bit of a history on this, think of what happened when when Trump was elected in the period before he actually took office. What were we hearing? Uh, in, in in we we heard about these uh, in colleges where they were having crying rooms, and we heard about the snowflakes, and then we heard about how they were going to try to get electors not to vote what how they were supposed to. Then after that, we had the Mueller investigation. Then we had the impeachments. And, I mean, it, it's just been yeah. one thing after the other. Uh, people surrounding Trump have been put on trial and, uh, you know, have been sometimes imprisoned for things that uh, in the past probably wouldn't have been even, they wouldn't even been charged for. But they're looking to intimidate and put pressure on them. Uh, the administration. That's right. Oh, uh, four minutes left in this segment, and we're going to wrap up this. Uh, just a couple more, one more quote from your article before we move on. Um, you say, what irks me is that the media has constitutional protection, yet abuses their privileges and does disservice to Americans by being de facto propagandists. And then you say there is a scarcity of normative journalism today with no demarcation between news and opinion. Explain that. Well, <laughs> I was uh, in a dentist's office one time, and a gentleman had been reading the paper. And he asked me if I wanted a section of the paper, and I said, well, I'll take the opinion page. 
And he said, in that case, I'm going to hand you the whole paper. Oh, that's great. <laughs> he gets yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I just I just sat there with a dumb look on my face because I realized he'd outdone me. <laughs> and, you know, um, we need more citizens like that man. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's, that's I love the way you, that was humorous, but you made a very important point, and he gets it that this is now no longer true journalism from maybe 100 years ago, 50 years ago. This yeah. is now opinion, what we're seeing today, put forth as if it were news or uh, without bias, and that's absolutely uh, not the case. But, um, uh, you know, so many of us cheered Robert Meyer when Donald Trump started calling out the complicit media and saying fake news, your fake news. We were saying, yes, finally, someone is standing up to this machine. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the phenomenon you're addressing is known as advocacy journalism. Now, I wrote, I was the conservative writer for a publication that fully came out and admitted that they were advocacy journalists. They were liberals. They were looking for a contrary writer, and they chose me because they felt that I was a, a person who could exercise their viewpoint without getting overly emotional, and they liked that balance. Hmm. But they came right out and admitted what they were doing was advocacy journalism. In other hmm. words, they were do writing based upon their opinions, their ideas. They weren't trying in any way to be even-handed. They were trying to promote the issues they believed in. And uh, but the but the mainstream media isn't doing that. They're not admitting what they're doing. They're just presenting it as though it's objective news. Mm. And they are. And this is this is the problem. So friends listening right now in this final minute, we've got to take another break. I just want to encourage you strongly. Obviously, look at everything through the lens of the Bible. That's our biblical worldview, seeing the world through the lens of the truth of God's word. But when it comes to voting, Please encourage your true Christian friends, and I said true Christian purposely, to get out and vote and vote their biblical values. We've got to do that. That's one of our only ways that we can combat any of this. Um, sharing the gospel, of course, uh, trying to help people in their faith draw closer to Jesus. But when it comes to how we live in America, a lot of it depends on who we elect. Or don't elect. Our guest today, Robert Meyer, when we come back, fact-checking foxes guarding the hen house on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Robert Meyer, with Renew America. And I want to go back to a quote from my very first book, which is called Eradicate, Blotting Out God in America. Chapter 6 is called Truth Has Left the Media. And uh, Chris Matthews was a guy hosting at MSNBC at the time. And during the presidential campaign season leading up to that election, and he said, "I this is a so-called journalist now. I want to do everything I can to make this Obama presidency work. And the Pew Research Center found that 92% of Americans um, now use, at that time, used multiple platforms to get their daily news. But some people stick with one or two. And that's the problem we're having today, Robert, is that a lot of people are sticking with a couple sources. And they, even on, even maybe that are conservative or Christian, we have our favorites. And so I want to encourage people to make sure you know what's out there, know what's being um, put out by sometimes you got to know the enemy's playbook in order to understand what's happening, right? Absolutely, you have to. In fact, a lot of times in my, uh, inter er, my interaction on social platforms, I deliberately choose hostile sources because I want to, I want to hear what they're saying. I want to get uh, their perspective and how they're arguing their points of view. So here's a quick example. Um, I talk so much about principles of journalism that have gone away, but I want to go back. This was, gosh, 12 years ago. And if you think your local news is unbiased, friends, I've got a wake-up call for you because they often take their cues from the uber-liberal 
AP, the Associated Press. They get their marching orders from the, the big ones, ABC, CBS, NBC. And if they're local channels, that doesn't mean they are always unbiased or reporting the news. Uh, Robert, I actually did a, a minute or second-by-second second, uh, test on one particular newscast, and it was absolutely unbelievable in a Green Bay, Wisconsin station. I won't mention which one it is. Quick example, though. This is when um, Governor Scott Walker, uh, there I think they were trying to recall him and stuff like that um, for, I think, the second time. But uh, this political newscast caused me to email the general manager and ask that his station report fairly instead of these attacking stories. So briefly, Robert, um, the first thing you see, and they use visuals, is an image of a close-up of recall locker on a button on someone's jacket. First thing you see. The segment was introduced by a news anchor that said, the recall battle is on. Angry voters gathered tonight in Appleton. And the news footage, the next very next footage you see is a liberal Democrat. I think uh, Steve Kagan was his name. He was yeah. who was voted out of office in 2010. Uh, he was teaching activists how to gather recall signatures. This was the news story. Here's how you get people to get, and basically organize. It. Here's how you organize. The introductions to the story was 30 seconds. Cut to an angry activist saying, "We got to get him out," meaning Walker. And then a female reporter comes on. It says, "Organizers are training a volunteer army in sessions like this statewide." Now, so this was about how the Democrats were trying to organize and get people to get signatures to go against Scott Walker to recall him. This was amazing. So let me cut to the chase. The entire news segment was two minutes and 46 seconds. And there was only, I think, one comment from someone who was in favor of Scott Walker. And that's why we have a problem in this unbalanced approach to how you cut up even a local news story. Uh, Robert, your thoughts before we get into fact-checking. Yeah, exactly, because what they tried to do is make it look like everybody out there was part of the protest and wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. And they, they do that by showing the overwhelming material uh, against rather than anything for or any statements made for uh, Governor Walker. Yeah, and to, in conclusion, this was back when, again, in Wisconsin, uh, with a big battle in Madison, um, it says, quote, in addition to the training sessions, the recall organizers say they're setting up offices around the state. And then they named four cities where activists could go to be trained to be a protester. This was absolutely called a news segment, and it's a- absolutely a joke. So, Robert, we also have a problem. In fact, recently we've known on social media with these so-called, and I emphasize so-called, fact-checkers. These are self-anointed and appointed people oftentimes that say, hey, I'll discern what's true and what's false. And most of them, I will say most, are politically, uh, they're liberal, they're progressive. So conclusion, they're Democrats, right? But they're trying to be fact checkers. Now, for those that are trying to do it sincerely and honestly, I give them kudos. But we know that's typically not the case. So your thoughts as we get into this article you wrote on foxes guarding the hen house. Well, this whole term fact-checker is supposed to give some kind of patina of credibility to this yeah. process of uh, <laughs> checking out what some politician or some notable figure says. But that was what the media was supposed to do to begin with. So if you got somebody called a fact-checker who is so supposedly independent of the media, that proves right there and, uh, you know, right there that the media is no longer involved in the business of checking out facts. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't they? Exactly. And you, you said that in the article. You say, in decades past, we relied on the media in its various forms to be fact-checkers. Freedom of the press was a constitutional right. Uh, and, and you say that, that we now need a category of people known as, quote, fact-checkers, is a tacit admission by the media that they no longer see fact-checking as their primary function. And that's a, such a profound statement, but it's sadly true. Yeah, it is. And where you see the bias a lot in fact-checking now, you know, it used to be like 10 years ago there would be a dispute between people online and they would go to some place like Scopes, and then that would kind of be the end of the argument. But then, of course, the idea became, well, what about if the fact-checkers themselves have some kind of uh, 
bipartisanship. Yeah. And why would anybody not think that was the case? Because everybody has some kind of stake in the outcome of things. There isn't this cadre of, of robotic people out there who are completely neutral on an issue. And I don't know what makes us think that because people are professional or they're expert in some area, they're not just as biased as the next person. Good point. Very important point that needs to be made. And I will say, I mean, for years, people made the mistake of trusting uh, Snopes. And that was started by a very liberal couple that were really progressive on the left. And they were the fact-checking, I guess that was the place to go for so long, when finally people started realizing, wait a minute, they're not really uh, giving the right a fair shake in many of their fact-checking, whatever they were doing. But you you say this, the deceptions occurred mainly in the selective application of fact-checking towards certain groups or individuals. We saw this played out most prominently during the Trump administration. Virtually everything Donald Trump said was subject to fact-checking analysis. Yet, when other politicians made at least equally dubious comments, little attention was given them. So, Robert, it's not just a problem with fact-checking a certain person or subject, but not fact-checking others. That's selective, isn't it? Yes, the selectivity of it. And a perfect example of that is there is a soundbite out there where uh, when Joe Biden was vice president, he speaks about how there was an investigator in Ukraine who was investigating uh, Hunter Biden's business dealings. And Biden brags how he got the guy fired, uh, removed from the case, and to a laughing audience. Hmm. Now, Trump was supposedly impeached for something even less egregious than that, trying to influence uh, a Ukrainian official. And um, <laughs> hmm. so why is this not picked up by anybody? And also, yeah, yeah. people said... Uh, a lot of independent voters, a lot of independent voters, had said that had they known uh, about the Hunter Biden laptop before the election, they may have voted differently. But that information was completely suppressed, and yep. in fact, Mark Zuckerberg uh, justified it by saying that shortly before the election, they got word—I believe it was from the FBI or yes. something—that there was some kind of Russian disinformation, quote unquote. That would be coming out, and that story came out shortly afterwards, and they just assumed that that was part of the uh, the, the propaganda. Yep, and that's dangerous, too, because they have suppressed that. They, meaning the media and the Democrats, the powers that be, have not reported fairly on the corruption involving Hunter Biden. And if that were one of the sons of President Donald Trump, whether he was in office or out of office, do you think— that would not be front-page news about his son and the corruption. We know that's the case. Um, Robert, your point here in the article, let's, we can wrap it up. You say fact-checkers created a tacit assumption of objectivity just by labeling themselves as such. So a warning to people listening right now that still look at, oh, okay, let's go to this fact-checker. We even have to discern even more strongly these days those who are supposed fact-checkers. So I'll let you uh, finish up. Exactly. Uh, once again, I'll reiterate, uh, you know, because I've written other articles about this particular phenomenon where because a person bills themselves as an expert in a field, they have credentials in an area or something, we have this bias where we assume that because of that, they are... Let, you know they are they are even handed they are uh, uh, unbiased and just because people have you know these credentials does not make them unbiased or not having a stake in the outcome i mean that's we're kind of going by the type of model we maybe used back in the 1950s where we got a committee of people together and then we looked at the most uh, experienced and the most uh, accredited expert in the field and maybe we went with that opinion uh that's you know that, that's gone away a long time ago because now we have uh, just about every issue being politicized and that's where we're at today unfortunately and the i'm the audacity of joe biden 
his campaign to run on uniting and healing the country, right? And speaking for all Americans. I kid you not, uh, one of his campaign slogans, it was on his website, I believe. Um, it says the battle for the soul of America or the soul yeah. of a nation, which is garbage because if you think about truly, I know he's trying to imply spiritual uh, healing. We are for light, and he associated Trump in almost every speech with chaos and darkness and co- uh, corruption. But to see the media completely ignore Hunter Biden and not only the laptop but his dealings with foreign nations, and they, they're not following the money trail, they're not following the truth, and it's sad. You're right. I remember those stories coming out, the polls saying people may have voted differently had they known about the truth about Hunter Biden and the details. Um, so, Robert, they used the whole Trump years, the four years, to attack him and try to you know, push this Russian disinformation. They didn't get anywhere, but they, they wasted America's tax dollars. The J6 committee now continues this facade. Um, what can the average American do other than vote and try to encourage people to understand what's happening and raise awareness? That's what they can do is vote and raise awareness because they can't themselves, uh, you know, they don't have congressional power to do any of these things. So that's what they have to do. But like you said, people said if they knew, well, now they do know. Yeah. So they don't have an excuse to be ignorant the second time. I mean, to be ignorant is no shame. To remain ignorant when the truth is available is. Isn't that kind of like a twist on uh, f- fool me once, shame on me, fool me? No, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Exactly. <laughs> so, and yeah, friends, so there's a lot of corruption that the media covered up. And uh, Robert was right when he said that I believe it was the FBI that told Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook to suppress that information about Hunter Biden, which was true. Um, because they said they had something to do with misinformation or whatever. And then you, you had the audacity of the Democrats to come up with a, uh, misinformation or disinformation campaign and appointed someone to, and that's, you, you think just because that's not in the news, they're not still doing that. They're still influencing social media. So Robert, uh, I just really want to thank you for your balanced approach. I tend to get a little bit more. Uh, passionate and, and have, have sure. uh, no problem with really a- attacking those who are evil and really speaking the truth about these things. And I know you do too, but you do it with a, a much more patient, I think, and balanced approach. So thank you. Um, other than renewamerica.com, how else can people get in touch with you? Yeah, um, there is, uh, well, at Renew America, I do include my email address. Okay. And if you're local, uh, I am on Facebook. Right. You can friend me or just send me a message there. I'm always happy to answer any responses. And one idea I did have, uh, other than just saying, you know, vote and, and pass on the information, is maybe what we need is more Christian conservative people in the journalistic field. Yeah, that that's, help. boy, that would help. Robert Meyer, God bless you, brother. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm. Bye now. Tomorrow, Pastor Kevin Minsky of... Christ the Rock, De Pere, Wisconsin. Bill Federer on Wednesday. Jelena Appling Thursday. Andy Woods Friday. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.